Hello, everybody. Welcome to Quirky Books, your favorite literary podcast. I'm Jess Holmes. Joining me, as always, is Elise. And welcome to our author, Faith Moore. Thank you so much, Faith, for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. We are so excited to have you. So excited to have all of our friends in the chat as we talk about your brand new book, Christmas Carol. I loved this book. It was amazing. Thank you. (laughs) I'm glad. It was absolutely wonderful. Um, Before we jump into it. I just, I have to say one more time, like how grateful I am that you're here. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Um, it's a pleasure. Oh, yay. <laughs> and um, I just like, this is our first author interview. So yeah. yay. I'm welcome. honored. Thank you for being our first. Yeah. I'm, I'm stoked. Uh, I guess what we're going to do is kind of talk about some things. I'm calling them like blind date questions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Simply because they're just like to get the conversation going before we do any like spoilers or anything like that or talk about the more meat and potatoes of of the book. But um did you have anything you wanted to go over to us before we like kinda just get into it with faith in our book? Um I I have to ask because my favorite Christmas uh Carol adaption of all time is the 1951 Alistair Sim version. I grew up watching that one like constantly. And I have to know which is your favorite version. No, that's the one. Okay. That's the correct answer. That is the correct answer. The only answer. And in fact, that is the movie that we watched in my family and still watch in my family every single Christmas since I was a little girl. And it is the reason for this book. Like the, the Dickens oh, book obviously I is the I knew source it. material, but the movie is really the reason why I care about this story to begin with. That I movie. love it. Yeah. That's amazing. I am ashamed to say I've never seen that version of it. Well, you can go out this Christmas and yeah. find yourself a copy and have a, have a watch. Sounds party. like we're going to have to have a watch party there with everybody. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, that is really cool. So, well, that's, I guess that's the big one. So it was the movie more than the book that inspired you for this. And then do, did you love the book? Did you also enjoy that too? Or kind of how did that all play into? Yeah. So I am someone who grew up in a very literary and intellectual family. No way. No way. uh, Yes. As you might, perhaps you might know that or not. I don't know. Um, But I am not particularly intellectual, at least at the at the level that like my family is. And so I was always kind of coming at the classics from some other avenue, like watching a movie and then picking up the book. Or like I remember I saw like a stage production of Jane Eyre, which is now my favorite book. But I saw a stage production and then I went away and read the book. And it, it was always I always needed that kind of little like pop culture like in in order to even understand what I was reading when I would pick up a Dickens book or a you know a book a classic a book from the past right and so this movie is the movie that we would watch every Christmas even when I was really little and I remember there were a couple years where I skipped it because I was very scared so I was that little I was like six or something pretty scary yes it was it was the scene like there is a lot of scary stuff in it, but it was the initial beginning part with the ghosts where 
Scrooge is walking up the stairs and he hears Marley's oh, voice yeah. like calling him and there's music playing and it's it's very frightening and that year I was like no this is not happening I'm leaving <laughs> um, but then I I came back so yeah so it was that movie and and it really is one of those things where in in my family it's kind of like an inside not a joke but it's kind of like we quote it at each other and it and yeah. little quotes mean sort of like there's like emotional touchstones that go along with the different quotes. And so like, and then when I met my husband, like I, I had to explain to him, like if I'm saying something really strange, that doesn't <laughs> it's probably a quote from the Alistair Sim version of a Christmas Carol. Um, yes. So it, yeah, it was definitely that movie. And then I had read the book at some point in my kind of young adulthood and I enjoyed it and liked it. And then when I, came up with this idea, which definitely came from the movie being so much a part of my life. I then went back and reread the book, I think a couple of times, definitely twice, but maybe more than that, just to kind of make sure that I was really, I wanted to make sure I was um, adapting the book and not the movie by accident. So, so I, right. I right careful to go back and kind of read the book. And it's, it's an amazing book and it's very short. So if anybody is kind of like, oh, I don't know if I should read this. It's great. It's yeah. very Dickens, very Christmassy and very short. So it's a good Christmas read. Win -win. I, I love it as a Christmas read. If you're not into like physical books, the Tim Curry version of uh, the auto mm. audio book is so good. He does such a good Scrooge. I just, uh, so that's good. Great. Yeah. That's, that would make a good audio book. I think. Yeah. Sure. It's phenomenal. Oh, I love it. Yeah, that's so cool. And I, I feel this so deeply, like with the, like just not feeling quite up to par with the rest of your family as far as <laughs> yeah. all of that. And then our family too. It's like not just one movie, but it's like a million movies that we quote all the time, which is ridiculous. And I've had to warn people like, okay, when you hear us just having a bit Exactly. You're having a bet. We think we're funny. Right. So right. And we know what we're talking about yeah. and why we're saying these weird things to each other. But an outsider is probably very confused. Yeah. <laughs> what is wrong with these people? Like, I don't know, but we love it. So here we are. <laughs> I love it. I do want to say that, like, if people are here and somehow they <laughs> haven't read your book, which, like, crazy, this is book club. You needed to read the book to be here. Do um, your homework. <laughs> right to your homework. I know that's the teacher of me coming out. You should go read the book anyway. But it's not like you just made Scrooge a girl. It, it's right. like none of that. It is 110% your own story, but very much inspired by A Christmas Carol. Thank you. Yes, that was really important to me because I hate those gender swapped stories right. where it's just right. like, oh, wouldn't it be so awesome and radical if we took this story that everybody loves and we just kind of put a girl character a girl in the story and didn't change anything at all right which i just feel like that's ridiculous because <laughs> hey men and women are different and there a woman is not going to work in the you know in this the narrative if if it was supposed to be a man to begin with so that was really right. important and i i really felt like when i had the idea I was like, I'm going to sit down and plot this out and figure this out because if it just turns out it's going to be this woman doing the exact same stuff that Ebenezer Scrooge does, then I'm just, I'm throwing this out. Right. And, right. you know, and I think for me, it was the part that worked was that it wasn't that I wanted to retell a Christmas Carol. It was that I wanted to use the plot arc of a yeah. Christmas Carol to yeah. tell a different story. 
Yeah. And so I, I think that's that. why it worked for me. Oh, and you nailed it because it's just so, so modern. You hit so many things and we'll get into this more later, but if you just hit so many hot topics for today, especially for women and families, but it doesn't exclude men. It, it really does yeah. like, it fits a lot of the problems I think we're seeing in the world today. And you did, you, you, you know, you went with the same arch, but it is such a different, it's such a different story all at the same time. And I loved how, I think that's why I cried so much reading this Oh book. my gosh, <laughs> me too. I had so many tears. <laughs> well, that, I, I mean, hashtag like, sorry, not sorry. Because no, I, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm sorry you were crying, but I'm really happy to hear that because I, yes. I was trying to do that. And the best part is that I am getting so many messages from men being like, I'm so mad at you. You made me cry. And I just feel like I like making grown men cry is something that I didn't have on my bingo card for 2023, but I'm really happy to be filling that out. Absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. But I think that really speaks to like just how moving and touching this is and, and how you just really hit all the feels with it. So thanks. Kudos. It was, it was amazing. Again, if you guys haven't read it, what do you go do? get it. What do you do, do it now? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Um, how and speaking just speaking of writing this, how different was it for you to write this book versus um, Saving Cinderella? And I mean, it's they're two totally different things, but right. So yeah, so Saving Cinderella is a work of nonfiction that I wrote in 2018, all yeah. about. For, for anyone listening that doesn't know, it's all about um, Disney princesses and the way that the culture has kind of gotten them wrong over the years since they came out. Um, this book was, this book, Christmas Carol, was an absolute joy to write. It was like, nice. this is what I've always wanted to do, is, is write novels, be a novelist. And I kind of fell into, very gratefully fell into a kind of freelance career as a sort of nonfiction sort of op-ed features writer and, you know, kind of honed that skill by writing for various venues. And then I, and then I kind of had been writing in those different venues about Disney because it was something that was important to me as growing up and as a young adult. And I suddenly realized, oh, I have, I have this kind of thesis. I have this thing I want to say. And then the book, and and I felt like, and then I want to kind of be done saying that. And I feel good because I, I wrote the book. And now anytime anyone wants to argue with me about some movie, I can be like, chapter five. Like, <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Right. Because I kind of felt like I had said what I needed to say. Yeah. And, you know, now it comes up again and it's great. And I'm happy to, you know, come back to those ideas. And I still love those movies and, um, and I love to hate the ones I hate and all of those things. But but I think that, that book was more of kind of like, okay, I have something I need to say. It's longer than an article. It needs, I, I, I want to sort of say it in my own way. And, and here it is. And it was tricky because I'm not really, as I was saying, like, I'm not super good at like research and, and reading. And I really had to kind of do that. I had to kind of research what people had said about these movies and the fairy tales. I had to read all the fairy tales and all those things. So that was fun and exciting, but hard. Um, And, and not really something I ever thought I was going to do, like write a work of nonfiction, like even about a sort of pop culture topic. I never thought I was going to do that. And I always thought I was going to tell stories. And then, so the joyful part of this book, just to be perfectly honest, was that I, I, I sold it to the daily wire before I wrote it. And knowing that you all were going to get it, like knowing that it was going to go out into the world, because I mean, I've written, I've written a lot of novels and they live 
very happily together in my desk drawer and I don't get to see the light of day. And this, and so knowing like, yes, like they're going to put this book out there. It's going to see the light of day. It was the most joyful ex- writing experience I've ever had. And I hope that I get to do it again. Yay. <laughs> I hope you do too. I want to read more. Oh, that's so cool. I'm glad, it, I'm glad it was a joy. Cause I'm sure it's, it was, um, you know, you didn't just sit down in a, in a day and write this, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I'm glad it was a joyful and wonderful experience for you because it was a joy to read. So absolutely. I'm glad. I'm really glad to hear that. It makes me so happy. I mean, it's amazing. Like you sit alone in your room for, you know, this was a couple of years. I mean, I wrote yeah. the book, I think in nine months and then there was an editing process and then there was the sort of time it needed to come out around Christmas. So then there was a bunch right. of time when it was done, but it wasn't out because it wasn't right. Christmas time yet. Um, and so you don't, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, you're, you're in there, you're living in this weird world that you created with these weird people (laughs) that aren't real, but you think they are. And, you know, and then you don't know what's going to happen. And I'm just, I'm so grateful and happy and excited that people seem to like it. Yay! Yeah. It's amazing. Um, I don't think I have any more, me personally, I don't think I have any more questions before we jump into things. Yeah, I think I'm ready for the meat and potatoes because that's where all the good stuff is. So if you haven't read the book, you haven't listened to the book, um, go get it, go read it, go listen to it. It's amazing. 10 out of 10. Uh, I'm adding this to my yearly Christmas repertoire because I listened to A Christmas Carol and Let It Snow by John Green. And now I'm adding this one in every Christmas. So you guys need to add it to your list as well. This is your spoiler warning. Right. Warning. Okay, we're done. I didn't know you made that. That was really cool. <laughs> that was really cool. It was like like danger music, like danger. Yeah. If you pass this point, we're going to hear some spoilers. <laughs> right. Ah, so nobody can say they weren't warned. Exactly. That you were warned. There was music. There were bells and whistles. <laughs> yes. So now the end. I mean. <laughs> yes. Now we're here on the other side. We can say whatever we want. Like, okay. Exactly. Oh, let. Oh, man, I don't even know where to start because. Okay, here, I've got one that I'd like to start with. At the very beginning, I feel like Carol was already like deeply in her emotions, like she was on the verge of tears all of the time. She knew something was wrong even before she had any of her otherworldly encounters. And I felt that was even true, like more true reflecting back on it now. Were those like seeds you intentionally planted along the way or is that just how she naturally developed yeah, they were they were intentional because I wanted you to not just hate her, hate her. I, I I wanted to I wanted to show you a person who was had very clearly lost her way and was yeah. very clearly doing things that you shouldn't be doing. Even more than I mean, you know, obviously there are things to talk about in like the culture about whether mom should stay home or go to work or whatever. But I wanted to give you somebody who was doing something that was beyond the pale for most people so that so that working moms weren't kind of like well I'm a working mom like I I wanted to show you someone who you know so she's we're we're past the spoiler danger music so she's she's going in to the office on Christmas Eve basically like on a made-up excuse because she just cannot handle the Christmassiness and the children and all the things that they need and the you know baking cookies she just can't handle it and so that is something that 
I think if you just saw that, you would feel like, oh, I hate this person. And why, you know, she's my main character. And why should I root for her? I, I don't want her to be happy. She's evil, you know? Right, <laughs> right, right. And I, I didn't want that. I wanted very quickly for you to feel like, oh, something is wrong here. Like something has happened to this woman that has caused her to feel this way. Something is up between her and her husband that's not right. And something is up between her and her kids and her feelings about Christmas are really confused and upsetting. And so I wanted you to kind of feel like, and I'm glad you kind of did, you're saying you kind of did, which is great. Like I wanted you to feel like this is not just kind of Ebenezer Scrooge, like I just hate everyone. This is someone who is hurting in some way. I don't really understand why she's hurting. I'm going to get there, but I see that she's hurting and I need to know what's going on with her. So that was intentional because I didn't want you to just like blanketly hate her. And that was brilliant because you do have hope for her right from the get-go because you recognize like "Uh, something's up more than normal. So you're that was very smart. Like <laughs> it, it was really so smart because it was such a great hook into yeah. the story because like I remember when she was standing in front of Bo's office, like wanting to go in and wanting to be with him. Like there used to be something there and now there's not. There's this wall and she has this anxiety and playing an argument out in her head before she even has the argument. Like who hasn't done that? I was like, ugh, that got <laughs> me right there. Yeah. Yeah, we all do that. We all like, right. and or like after the argument's over, we like pretend that it's keeping going and we say what we wanted to say in our mind. Like, I think we all do that. Definitely. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. So like I felt for her and I wanted to know, oh my gosh, <laughs> I need this girl to have her redemptive moment because I like, I feel for her. Whereas Scrooge, I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's funny because like in the Scrooge story, when you go into the past, you actually do learn about some traumas that he's had that led him to be the Scrooge that you initially meet. But I think you don't see that kind of humanity in him to begin with, which I think is fine because it's not the same kind of story. And I think that's not what Dickens was trying to do. So it's not like mine's better. I'm not saying that, but I just, but I think, you know, it, it, it was that piece for me that was true in the Dickens that, that, you know, Scrooge, has these things that you can see the line between, you know, from his kind of young idealistic self, you know, to being sort of left at school and his beloved sister dying and all these things, you can kind of see how he got to be the way he is. And so that was kind of important, like, okay, we're going to go back and we're going to see what happened here. What's wrong. Yeah, absolutely. I love, and I love, and going off of that too, because, um, you know, you're taking this and making it your own. Were there any, um, your own life experiences or anything that you noticed culturally just what kind of molded this story and and carol in particular in your mind yeah it's funny because the the question that i'm being asked the most that is also the question that surprised me the most and shouldn't at all is which part of carol is you you know Mm -hmm. like what what have you what about you or have you kind of infused into Carol? And that shouldn't surprise me because of course, like all the characters are created by me. And so some element of me is in them. But the reason it surprises me is because the answer is in my mind is nothing. There is nothing about Carol that is like me. And I think there are other characters that are much more like me. For example, Fran, um, Carol's sister is much more like me. She's someone who wants 
uh, to just kind of meet a nice man and have a bunch of children and, and keep a home. And, and that feels much more like the life that I get to live and the life that I kind of wanted to live growing up. Um, so Carol is not, it's a funny thing about writing books because it is a little bit like being insane because <laughs> you, you just kind Love of it. go like, that it's not real, but, but it is a little bit like, you know, you have these ideas and these characters and then, and they're removed from you, but, and then you sort of plan out your story and then you sit down to to write. And then it's kind of like being a Victorian medium. Um, And and they all just kind of channel through you and you're doing your very best to like keep them on track, but they don't always, and there things are happening that are not necessarily what you thought. Um, And so that in that way, it's kind of hard to say like, oh, this is where I got this, or this is where this happened. Um, the the reason I decided to tell this story um, in this way is because it kind of had to do with what was going on in the pandemic. And people might've heard me told this, tell this story before, but basically I have been a stay-at-home mom since my older son was born, which is, he's almost nine. But during the pandemic, I live in New York, and so it was very, very locked down for a while. And um, all the parents came home, all the working parents came home, and all kids were at home with the parents. And everybody was trying to work from home, and everyone was trying to school from home, and it was kind of like crazy. So, So first of all, there was that kind of like absolute clash of understanding that, oh, I actually cannot have it all. Right. Oh. Oh. Not true. Yeah. And then, um, but the other thing that happened that really surprised me was that people were talking about how wonderful it was, how wonderful it was to be home with their kids and the things that they were kind of learning about their kids and finding out about their kids and, you know, how nice it was to not have to kind of be schlepping to different after school activities and just really just being there together. And then the pandemic ended and everybody went back to work. Yeah, right. I sort of, I was thinking like, oh, this is that kind of Scrooge, Scroogean idea where you get to see a thing that you were missing. You get to kind of see your life in a different way. But, you know, we are not being visited by supernatural spirits and therefore we are not kind of taking in all the lessons that he might have taken in. And so it was kind of that Christmas and we watched the movie again and I was kind of like, oh, like, what if we put like a workaholic mom, like on that trajectory? Like what if we took her and let her see the, what the, the things that she's missing at home by sort of pulling her out of her life and letting her look at it from the outside, the way that Scrooge does. So that's kind of where the general idea came from. And then it was just about, so, okay, who would this person be and why, and why is she acting like this? And as I was saying before, you know, let's give her some reasons that we can really identify with and really have compassion for so that we don't just hate her forever. Right, exactly. So you don't even care if she makes it. Or exactly. Not. We need to care about her for, you know, 300 pages or whatever. Yeah. So we can just be horrible. <laughs> no, I love that. And so she's like anti-you. And then, uh, and I like that. <laughs> yeah. I love it. And, uh, oh, I lost my train of thought, which happens all the time. Sorry. That's okay. I should have warned you. No, no, that's good. That happens to me all the time too. I'll drink this water. Was oh, the pandemic go. also a thought, the thought behind why you chose the hospital as the setting for her experiencing the ghosts? Not on purpose, but I, mm-hmm. I now that you're saying that it's potentially true. I mean, I think, I think I wanted 
because I felt like it was a little bit of a more kind of realistic initial setting, not the hospital, mm-hmm. but the, the the beginning of the story, her life yeah, was right. more sort of realistic. I wanted there to be some kind of like incident, you know, as opposed to like, you know, Scrooge just comes home and Marley is there. Yeah, but right. I, I wanted there to be some kind of like incident where it's like, okay, now you're in like a supernatural place. And so then I think I felt like, oh, well, she hits her head and then she wakes up in the hospital. So I think that's kind of where I came from, but I also think it's very possible that that was on my mind and without knowing it. <laughs> that's that's totally fair. I really liked the hospital setting. Her getting to watch, basically watch a movie about her whole life, I think is everyone's desire and also dread yes. <laughs> to see your, all of the best moments, but also all of the worst moments. Oh, yeah. So good. Thank you. Um, Yeah, it was a funny thing because I felt like I wanted, I didn't want it to be at a remove all the time. Like the Dickens story is at a remove because you're always with Scrooge, the current Scrooge, looking at what's happening and you kind of never leave him. And I wanted to leave Carol and I wanted to go into the Carol's point of view of the time where she was. And so I felt like, okay, if it's kind of on a screen and then it's a sort of like little like fade away, you know, if you imagine it as a movie, it's a kind of like fade away into that. So it's like, here we are sitting in the screening room and then the next chapter starts and we're in whatever's on the screen. So it was kind of a device so that we didn't have to (laughs) be at such a remove from the scenes that were playing out. I think that's great because I was thinking while I was reading it, I was like, this is so brilliant because if you kind of were with Carol while she was watching it and you were kind of in her head at the moment of her watching these things, you might not get the same feel from her perspective there versus the in the moment Carol. So that was a really great way to do it. Thank you. And again, you get to experience it like she did then because our perspective definitely changes when we're removed from it so right exactly yeah and that was I mean when I hit that when I sort of said okay this is how it's gonna be I'm gonna set this up in the you know in the screening room and then I really had a moment of like well hold on do I stay with Carol that's watching or do I stay do I go to the Carol that's there and it was kind of a crisis like I was sort of like wait I don't know if I can tell this story like because I need to be in the I don't want to be uh, removed from the, the, the narrative that I'm telling. So, so I think when I kind of figured out like, oh, okay, I can sort of like fade into her other point of view. I was yeah. kind of like, okay, I can do this now. Seamlessly. It was, yeah, that was, that was <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, I, th- and, oh, I remember what I was going to say earlier. I've heard other authors say that, sorry, going back for a second. Authors say that too, like they write themselves into corners or the character leads them down, you know, certain paths and you're like, I am the one writing this, but it's the character <laughs> who's kind of directing this whole thing and what they would do. It's not me. And uh, that has to be, did you ever write yourself into a corner like that or get into spots where you were kind of like, Wah, what do I do now? Or did it kind of flow for so you? One of the other things that was a real joy about this was that the plot was written for me. So other things that I've written that have not seen the light of day, I I would do that all the time. I'm really bad at plot actually. Um, And that's why when I have my other hat on as an editor, I'm always like really, really big on outlines because I feel like I'm always kind of outlining and then being like, 
I'll figure that out later. And then like, I can't figure it out. Um, So this was great because I I just sat down with the Dickens book and I, I read it. And as I read it, I outlined it. Like I just sort of this, these are the main things that happened to Scrooge. And then I was able to kind of make a little dorky spreadsheet where I then said like, here are the things that happened to Carol at the same, in the same way. Um, And so it was less of that. I mean, there were certain things where, like there were certain Carol's uh, characters I struggled with, like for example, Carol's dad. Um, mm-hmm. I, I kind of initially he was sort of more more present. He he was he didn't leave and he was still there, and so and I didn't really know what to do with him, and he didn't really know what was happening. So I kind of just said like, okay, you're leaving. You're um, I, really <laughs> I don't want to deal with you. Yeah. Get out of here. Please leave. Um, because I think that's what he would do. I don't. I, I think. Yeah. I, I ultimately yeah. felt like I eventually with the mom being so sick and him being so kind of deadbeat, like, I don't think he would stick around. And I think it was having him stick around was kind of like, I didn't know what he was doing there. Um, And so I, I sort of went back and said, okay, you need to go away now. But I had that scene of him and her, of Carol confronting him in the hospital. And I kind of wanted to keep that because I wanted there to be some closure and I wanted her to kind of confront him after she had had a child and while the mother was dying. So I kind of had him, I kind of made up a reason why he right. come back for that, for that moment. Um, and I kept that part in, but then the rest of it. So yeah, I think there were just, that was one moment where I kind of was like, wait, what's going on here? But, but having the plot, the Dickens plot was so helpful and it felt so lovely to not have to worry that I wasn't going to be making any sense. <laughs> no. no, it all made sense. And I think yeah. all the characters were true to who, who you wrote them to be in them. Yeah. It showed through. Um, some of the characters that really stand out to me and always stand out in the Dickens story are the three ghosts, but your three ghosts are never identified Mm -hmm. as past, present or future. And just the way you handle it was so well. So like talk us through your inspiration on handling the three ghosts. Yeah. So the, the ghost of Christmas past, um, I think is, well, I guess past and present are kind of, my take on the past and present in the Dickens. So the, the Dickens past, the ghost of Christmas past in Dickens is described as being both young and old at the same time. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I mean, and who knows what that means? You know, like, what does that mean? Right. Um, And so I, I wanted it to be a little girl because I felt like it was the past and it's not, you know, it's open to interpretation. Like, I don't think it's Carol as a little girl, but it's, it's somebody who kind of comes from the same, like is a child at the same time period that she would have been a child and, you know, kind of, but also has, seems to have more wisdom than a a person of her age should have. Um, And I, but I also, and and this was something where I wasn't sure if I should do this. And some people, some early readers were kind of like, I don't know about this, but I, I wanted her to be kind of like snarky. Like I, I wanted loved that. loved it. Yeah. I like, loved thank it. you. I, I ended up deciding that I wanted to keep it because I loved it too. And I, I wanted her to be, I wanted her to challenge Carol. Yes. And, and I yes. think, you know, it, the ghost of Christmas past and Dickens is obviously not snarky, but I think he is kind of like, he does kind of stand firm in the idea of like, you need to change, like something's wrong with you and you need to like figure this out because, you know, your welfare is at stake. He says it right I'm here for your welfare. Huh. So I, 
so that was kind of her. And I, I wanted her to be both kind of childlike and sort of like, you know, want to sit with me and watch TV and eat some popcorn, um, <laughs> but also kind of like hold her account. Um, and and I, I wanted her to be a little bit sassy. Um, and so, yeah, and so that was her. And then, you know, the Ghost of Christmas present in Dickens is a kind of, so I have him as actual Santa Claus. Um, and he is a kind of Santa-like figure mm-hmm. in in Dickens. He's a kind of big giant man who like wears a sort of cloak and, you know, is like ho, 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 kind of. Jolly, um, yeah. Right. He's very jolly and he's yeah. happy and, you know, he's sort of joyful in, in the present. Um, and so I sort of thought, you know, if, and I also thought, you know, my concept of this is that the things that happen in the hospital are real. Yeah. Um, in the sense that there really is a supernatural world and these these people are coming to her and Marley's ghost comes to her. But I also wanted it to feel a little bit like a fever dream um, right. and something yeah. that <laughs> might, might possibly kind of come out of her subconscious. And so I felt like Santa Claus is somebody that we all kind of know about and mm-hmm. it could you could kind of imagine Santa Claus if you're having some sort of weird drug trip or something. (laughs) I love the tie around because the book opens with her having a dream about Santa Claus. Right. (laughs) It was great. Thank you. Yeah. So, and I, and again, I kind of wanted, so Santa is not snarky, but he's kind of, he has a sense of humor Mm -hmm. and he has a kind of knowingness that I think Santa Claus actually does in, in mythology. Right. And I think that, um, it was kind of the next step. Like we have the child and then we kind of grow up into somebody who is childlike and, and only children believe in him, but he's an adult and he kind of relates to her on a more adult level. And then I opted to not have an actual ghost of Mm -hmm. Christmas future because I wanted to really scare you. I wanted wanted to have her wake up and have you really think like, what like and I don't oh, know yeah it, it seemed to work for some people so I know we're we're in the realm of spoilers so hopefully I won't to pay yeah, for me to right. say all this but yeah. you know I I wanted I I knew that most people would know the story of a Christmas Carol mm-hmm. and assume that everything was going to be fine right. um, but I wanted there to be even for those people a moment of like what yeah like what she's it's 30 years later and everything like are you not telling the story I thought you were telling or for people who kind of forgot the story of a Christmas because like there are people that don't remember the story or they're not Christians and they're you know they don't read Christmas stories or whatever and that's fine um who don't know the story and maybe but maybe picked up this book so I thought it's it's scariest like it's jar the most jarring yeah. thing that I can do yes. is yeah. try to convince you even though you, you know what you're waiting for you know what's happening now to try to convince you anyway yeah. that that it's all it's you know it's all been a dream it's 30 years later and it that's over this is her new reality it was this honestly it. so effective with the audiobook because I had like <laughs> an hour and 30 minutes something left yeah when we finally get to that ghost of Christmas yet to come, not mm-hmm. ghost moment. And I'm like, wait, is this why the cover is so scary? Yeah. <laughs> it's not okay. Right. It's not okay. Exactly. Right. So I, I, I opted to not, and somebody, somebody wrote to me and said, is the doctor the ghost of Christmas future? And I was like, sure. Like, whatever, right. <laughs> like, yeah. whatever you okay. want. 
Um, right. Because, you know, it's different for everybody. But ultimately, I just sort of thought like, no, this the the scariest, most jarring thing I can do for you, the reader, but also for Carol yes. is to make you think and make her think that all hope is lost. And that's the final piece. Like the whole each each chunk, like the yep. past and the present and the future, gives her an additional piece of the puzzle, right? So the past teaches her and us why she became the way that she is. The present kind of shows her what she's been missing at home and teaches her that, you know, her kids do need her, her husband does love her, and yeah. she loves them, and she wants to step back into that sort of circle of, of love and the cycle of, of love and death and all of that. She wants, she wants back in. And then she needs that one little push, which is to be like, this is what it would be like if you yes. know this didn't happen. And I mean, it's this, like Scrooge sees his, his gravestone, right. Mm -hmm. With right. The, the ghost of Christmas future. And so I kind of wanted it to be that same moment, but I wanted you to feel that way too. Like I wanted you to think like, Oh God, like, it's okay. This is not happening. Um, and then, and then kind of come back around at the end to the fact that that was also part of the, the I legit cried when she woke up and it was the real world. I was like, uh, Oh thank God. I know. Oh, you know, that's another place where I kind of went off the rails for a minute and had to come back was I, I had after that sequence in the future, Mm -hmm. I had her then wake up for real in in a hospital because she really did hit her head. Yes. So I had her then wake up for real in a hospital. And I was going along and I thought, wait, she wouldn't believe – she would always be questioning, yeah. am I dreaming? Right. And we would always be questioning, if am I dreaming? And for the rest of her life, she wouldn't yeah. know if she was like lying in a hospital bed somewhere having – a fever dream, you know? Right. And, and so I kind of was like, okay, no, like we have to put her all the way back at Rockefeller center and yeah. let this whole hospital be part of the, the weird simulation. <laughs> no, that was really well done. And I, I loved how you did the ghost of Christmas yet to come or lack thereof, because I, you can see her, like you said, you can see her progress from like each little bit. And especially after present um with santa she was like it was she was so close yeah but immediately like as soon after she saw her sister and they were kind of going back to her room or they were going back going somewhere after that anyway they she, you could see her just like downplaying yeah. it like well i'll call her well, well you know right and so and i was thinking at this point like Oh my gosh, how is she going to get that push? Like, what is going to give her that little umph? And then um, yeah. you scare the pants off of everybody, including <laughs> her. And so, exactly. they, but yeah, it was so you need to be scared in order to figure stuff out. <laughs> yes, I agree. Yeah. yeah. Everybody else was pretty gentle. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then it was just that extra she needed. And so it was really, it was really good. And it was, I loved it because it was so believable. Like, mm -hmm. that would have made me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm really stubborn that would have made me change my ways you know so good. that was really <laughs> thank you I'm, I'm yeah, glad it worked really good <laughs> yeah I love it um so I think something that you know you see in literature all the time obviously other characters who emphasize the main character or they are the um they help them out or they show kind of the opposite and right. before I get into like the the bigger players I think the one I loved I loved Fran and I loved um her assistant whose name I cannot say Roberta. Roberta 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love the, I, I love the subtle name changes. Thank you. <laughs> so good. Yes. There's a lot of Easter eggs in there where I felt like, okay, if you know the book and you know the story, then this will be interesting to you. And if you don't, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but the names, all the, the names, names were, were so yeah. fun. Thank you. The, the names were a lot of fun. And um, I guess there's so much here, but with Roberta, like you see a working mom who yeah. doesn't have a choice, which I feel like a lot of women are in that kind of situation. They'd love to be home with their children, but there's just no way. And so you see her working so hard and being so, so terrified to lose her job. Yeah. <laughs> she right. works so hard and she's so wonderful. And, um, and also she's so loving and she pays so much attention to her children. So again, it's kind of like how it could be like the best of that situation. And then you have Carol and, um, I don't need to tell you these things, but <laughs> tell us, <laughs> you know, like how was, um, was she meant to do that? Was like, was there, was kind of making a point with that? I guess like who was Roberta for you? Yeah. Well, I think, so obviously Roberta is the Bob Cratchit character and in, in Dickens, that's, that is kind of what we see. We're seeing a family man in Bob Cratchit who, you know, is, is working this horrible job with this horrible person for like pennies, but that's, that's all he can get. And he's doing it to support his whole rest of his family. He's got like four kids and this wife and, you know, and, and then the older children we see later are, they're going out to work because they just, they can't make enough money and he's just trying, but everything about him is about his family and you know he's just sort of dying to get home to them on christmas eve and to spend christmas day with them it's the only day he gets off and he's just you know so and and it does kind of put into starker relief scrooge as a person where you know and then he you know like cratchit goes home and you know he rushes off he puts on he he doesn't have a coat he just puts on his scarf and he kind of like rushes out into the cold to be with his family and then scrooge you know kind of trudges home and he goes to the restaurant because there's no one at home to make food for him or to eat with him and then he you know and then he goes home to the house which is marley's old house that he's kind of like taken from him after he died and he's just all alone and it, there is that those sort of two sides of the same thing and that's kind of what i was trying to do as well i was sort of trying to say because yeah some people have to go to work and some people or some people want to go to work Mm -hmm. and you know want that kind of outlet or that creative outlet but you know can priority can still prioritize their family you know even if they have to work and you know Roberta they're both working Roberta and her husband are both working but they've arranged it so that you know one works nights and one works days so they're always there for the kids and you know yeah. So I kind of, I didn't want to be saying, I mean, first of all, I wasn't saying anything. Like I didn't have a message. I don't have, there are themes in the book, but I wasn't yeah. trying to like convert anyone to anything. But I think, you know, I wanted to show a different way of being a working mom where you kind of, you still have to go to work and it's long hours and you have to do what you have to do, yeah. but you still kind of prioritize your kids and, and you help them to, to see and to feel like, they're the reason that you're doing all of this. Yeah. So yeah, I kind of just, I wanted a different, a different version of a working mom. Yeah, absolutely. I like it. I like that you give all of these women different <laughs> avenues to pursue what they 
are meant to do. Not that it's bad to work or that it's bad to be a stay at home mom, but there are better ways to do things. And just that exploration of what might your calling be and how can you still prioritize family in that, I think was so cool and such a needed story in our modern age, because I feel like we've, as a culture, just really left family behind. Yeah, I think so too. And I think, you know, women are being kind of sold a narrative right now that in order to be successful or important in society or as people, they have to kind of follow a specific career path, not necessarily a specific kind of career, but you know, you, you graduate, you get the job, and then you try to kind of climb the ladder, the corporate ladder, wherever you are, and you kind of girl boss your way to the top. And I think, you know, that might work for some people, that might be what some people want to do. But I think there's a lot of people out there who wish that they that that wasn't what they felt they were supposed to be doing. And, you know, and that's kind of why I, I love Fran so much, not because she's more like me, but because she's so kind of unabashedly um, wanting this life of homemaking. And she's, and she's so brave. Like to me, she's so brave because like she gives up everything. She gives up the only family she's got to, in order to go out and follow her dreams. And that's something that people do now, but they do it with careers. Like, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to give up, you know, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to work all the time so that I get to the top and I'm going to follow my dream of being a CEO or a lawyer or whatever. And that's fine. But I think when somebody says like, well, I'm going to give up everything and follow my dream of being a housewife and a mother, like people are like, what? That's not, and I mean, that's that's sweet, but that's not an ambition. And I think like, no, it really is for some people, not everybody, but it really is for some people. And I think that we devalue those people in our society right now. And we really shouldn't because they're saying that they want to do kind of the most important work on earth, which is like having children and raising them. (laughs) Absolutely. Honestly, I wish a story like this had been out when I was a kid, because when Mm -hmm. I was a kid, it was like, you have to go to college, you have to get a career in STEM. And like, don't get me wrong, I love being a science teacher. But when I was like, in the field of science, I burnt myself out on that. I'd be at the lab at like three o'clock in the morning running tests. It's like, this is not what I want for my life. I want to be a mom. I want to have a family. You know, I want to do those things. But you're right. I feel like women today feel like they have to do the girl boss thing in order to be considered successful. And success doesn't have to just be dollars in the bank. Right. And I think also what happens then is that the the husband and the kids become a sort of afterthought. And it's like things, I mean, Carol says, like, those are things that happen along the way, you know, and it's kind of like, okay, well, they might be, but you know, that's not how we should think of our children, like just right. things that have happened, you know, right. along the way. Um, and, and we have to kind of fit them into our real life, our real schedule in yeah. some way. And and they're and now they're annoying because right. my real mm. thing is that I'm trying to go to work and, you know, get this project done by the deadline and all of these things. I'm trying to do this and you're bothering me. Right. You know? right. And I feel like, you know, and that is a kind of I mean, it's a sort of rational in in some sense. Right. If you've structured your whole life around this notion of like, well, the most important thing is my job. So then it makes sense that these like little people with all their needs are really annoying you (laughs) getting in the way. And I feel like so we have to kind of reprioritize if we're going to 
refocus on on family, we have to reprioritize that actually, no, these kids, when they're little, when they need us the most, yeah. these kids are the priority, priority. And also, it doesn't mean a total amputation of everything else that makes you you. I no. mean, here am I, like I've written a novel, I have a two-year-old, like I just mm-hmm. wrote it when he was napping. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that we you can do things or like, you know, people have like Etsy stores or they make pies and they sell them or, you know, they do some freelance work, you know, after bedtime or whatever. Like there are things that you can do that continue to kind of fire those intellectual rockets, but you know, you need to, speaking of kids, hi kids. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. That's my two year old. (laughs) Um, And you know, you, you, you know, you, you need those outlets, you need that, those create creative things, but our kids are little, for only a very short amount of time. And that's kind of part of what Carol figures out in the book is that, oh, you know, this time is finite. It's not coming again. They're not going to still be here being two when I'm done with whatever it is that I'm trying to do at work. Um, That time is finite. So you might as well reprioritize so that you're there for that time. And then you go off and do whatever you're trying to do when your kids don't need you so much anymore. Yeah. And she keeps putting that off, like, oh, I'll get to them, I'll get to them, I'll get to them. like, they're stumbling blocks. And, and yeah, I like how you put that, like, the, we have to reprioritize everything. I think that's what hit me so hard with this was, like, I have two little girls right now. And so I was just reminded, reading this book, like, this time is so short. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I need to have every minute with them. I think I was crying at, like, midnight reading it at one point, And I'm like, you can't go wake the kids and hug right. them right now because... <laughs> They need to sleep. Yeah. You want them to sleep. Because okay. <laughs> you, you actually do need them to sleep and you need your sleep and know, whatever. Yeah. But, exactly. But yeah, um, I mean, and it's something that we forget. We forget that it's fine because kids are, kids can be difficult. And mother, I mean, that's not piece. It's like motherhood can be difficult. And especially if you choose to stay home and you're with them 24 seven, you know, you, you get kind of exhausted or it's frustrating or whatever. And so we kind of forget that it's finite. And, but it is. It is. And what is that saying? It's like the days are long, but the years are short. Oh, right. Along those exactly. Lines. So true. So yeah. Yeah. You blink and it's, and it's over. And, mm-hmm. um, but I, I like that too, because it's, I think what the perspective gets to be like, um, well, the kids aren't going to be around forever and you can't lose yourself. Don't lose yourself. Don't lose yourself. And it's like, you don't have to, you can put them first. You can, they can be your priority. And like you had said, you can also balance it with all the things you need to still be you. They need you to be you. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. It's- I'm always saying that like your kids are not going to be happy if you're miserable. But I think sometimes people say like, they use that as an excuse. Like, Oh, like, so then I need to go out and work, you know, 12 hours a day or whatever, because these so are the I'm happy. That, <laughs> but, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm happy. I'm happy when I'm focused and successful. And, you know, and that's kind of something that I tried to give to Carol also is that sense of, I feel successful yes. at work. I know where I stand at work. And I think that that's true for a lot of people, you know, because at work, it's like you get your year end review and maybe you get a raise or a bonus. And, you know, your boss stops by your office and says, great job on that project. And, you know, that doesn't happen at home. Your kids are not like, good job, mommy. Thank you. You know, you dealt with my tantrum so well. (laughs) Isn't that that what Mother's Day is supposed to be for? (laughs) Just for for once a year. Um, But yeah, but I think like, 
And even, you know, even your husband who is doing, I mean, just speaking for myself, like uh, amazing things going yeah. off and making it so that I can do this at home and then coming home and being with the kids and all these things like your husband's not your boss. So you're not looking for that kind of reassurance from your husband really either. Like you don't want him to say like, okay, well, it's time for your, your <laughs> a very good job in these areas. You know, you, that's not going to happen. So there is none of that at home no. and it's chaos. It's total yeah. chaos. Even when things are orderly, it's yeah. like, you never know when someone's going to like throw something at your head and you're yeah. going to have to deal with that, you know? It's so, true. Uh, right. So I think for a lot of women, they feel more grounded, more successful. Like they know where they stand yeah. at work and yeah. home feels nuts. And yeah. so I think that's part of it too, is that like, we kind of need to understand like, yeah, you know, your whole, your life can't just be like routine and structure and, you know, all these kind of check boxes, like, yeah, like having, raising new humans is not <laughs> as structured as that, you know, no. it's, kind of it's kind of a different experience but it's a very valid and worthwhile experience to be a part of absolutely like you do not get the same validation by any means like you had just said like right that kid is not going to come up to you and be like thank you for being so strict with me i needed that like no <laughs> no kid and at the same time you're also questioning everything because it's like did i just scar my child for life right. by not letting them have mac and cheese you know, i mean ridiculous oh. but you know what i'm saying yes 100 so percent. don't know these things until usually a long time later when your kids are like you know what you did wrong mom yes right okay. when they're or they're like in therapy like oh no, that was me I did that mm -hmm. um but I think that is what's very alluring and and also necessary like it is wonderful to have that validation and it's not something you get as a parent so you kind of have to like shift your perspective on what you're doing yes. And also, you don't want your husband to come home and give you a review and be like, well, here's what you could do better. Because no. then you're just going to throw something at him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. exactly. uh, but, um, but I do think, I think you made a good point for men in this too. Because it's not all about women. Like, Bo right. was so wonderful I and so Bo. real. He's my favorite. Okay, I'm really glad that we're talking about okay. Bo. He's yes. my favorite. <laughs> he was wonderful. So, yeah, tell us about him. Because I loved him. And... <sighs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, I loved him too. I think that when you're writing this, so one thing that I, that I feel that maybe is not the way that other people read the story and that's completely fine. But for me, this was a story about a woman falling back in love with her husband. Yes. I see um, that. Yes. It, it wasn't really, I mean, it was about the kids. It was about motherhood and all of that. But for me, the center of a family Yes. is the relationship between the two parents. Yep. And, you know, so if that falls apart, the family falls apart. And if that's strong, then the family is strong. And so even though it is about motherhood and in Carol's journey is about kind of owning that and realizing that it's, that she can be a good mother and that it's important to be a, a mother and to be there for the kids. It's really about her kind of trajectory like towards Bo and then away from Bo and then back towards Bo again. Um, and because secretly all I really want to be doing is writing love stories and reading love stories. That's all I really ever want to be talking about and, and thinking about. So um, that was kind of, that was a really central core piece for me. So Bo kind of just materialized. He, I, I knew that he, there were some things I knew. I knew that she had to have a husband who mm -hmm. was worth coming back to, who was worth falling in love with and worth 
kind of falling back in love with at the end. So I, I knew he needed to be somebody very appealing. Um, I knew that he needed to have a he needed to have a job where he worked from home so that he could be there for the kids and have that perspective that yeah. she was missing. But but that he wasn't like a stay-at-home dad. Like I wanted him to be like the man of the house still mm -hmm. and have a career and have um, ambitions and places that he wanted to be going. And so I gave him, I gave him the job of an artist because I felt like you can be an ambitious artist and you can be talented and creative and, and, you know, and, and want to be kind of earning a living doing this. And, and I'm the child of an artist, not a visual artist, but a, a writer who yeah. kind of, had to cobble together all of these different ways to make, you know, enough money to, to support our family. I also had a stay-at-home mom. So, you know, he was an artist going out and um, figuring out how to support us all. So I, I wanted that for him also. Um, and then I guess, I guess what happened is Carol became this very kind of serious, hard charging, ambitious kind of, person almost too serious you know she hears her mother say promise to take care of Fran and she kind of like never ever lets go um, of that yeah. and so I think I wanted somebody much more kind of like philosophical and creative and and kind of as a as a way as a kind of opposites attract type yeah. of idea um, and so you know I when I mean the, he is the character I think the most that just kind of like felt like a real person to me and who I didn't plan, you know, like, I mean, yeah. she opens that curtain at that party and there he is. And, and, there, he is, and like, there he was like, he's talking about, I don't know, like, what is he talking about? He's talking about snowflakes and like, <laughs> cookies and like, what? And I was just, this guy? <laughs> whatever, um, you know, and then, and, and I wanted, I wanted it to be that he was kind of the, deep like emotional core of this family and of this relationship while still being a man. Like I didn't want him to go off and be, be a sort of like a feminine, like doormat type guy because his right. wife was this um, girl boss. Like I didn't want right. that. I wanted, I wanted it to be that like something was deeply wrong in this family. Yeah. Like there, there, there can't be like two kind right. of strong, ambitious people. Like, you know, we need right. like the yin and yang, you know, and yeah. it wasn't working. Um, and so yeah. So I think it's hard for me to sort of say like, what was my inspiration for Bo? I have no idea. <laughs> like I just, he just I, worked who he was. <laughs> yeah. He was yeah. fabulous. He feels kind of like the Fred character, <laughs> but so his own person. Um, yes. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think he, you know, Scrooge has a love interest in Dickens too. Belle, which is why yeah. I was named Bo. Um, in Love the movie, that. her name is Alice, but in right. the Dickens, her name is Belle. And I don't know why they changed that for the movie, but they did. And so um, I turned Belle into Bo. And, uh, you know, but we don't really get to see much of Belle because very quickly right. she. <laughs> She's, she's like, like there and then she's just <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not doing this. Thank you. <laughs> leaves. And so I think for me, it was sort of like, I needed him to be a man who was so principled and loved Carol so much that he wouldn't leave, that he wouldn't leave her because like he had every reason to leave. I mean, right. you know, to no one would, I mean, people would fault them for getting a divorce, but I just think like you could understand if he was going to ask for one, you could understand why he would, you know, given her behavior. Right. And so I think, you know, I, I wanted him to just to love her so much and to be so 
kind of passionate about their family that he wouldn't leave the way that Belle leaves in this in the Dickens. Speaking of that, I love how you handled the character who has a crush on Bo mm. and uh, her whole reaction to it. Because I remember like when she's in the dream sequence and like sees him sitting next to her in the church and she's like, tiger mom going to go rip her eyes out. But then yeah. in the redemptive portion, she's like, actually, I kind of feel sorry for you. Yeah. Yes, because I think she by then, by that point, she feels like, yes, anyone would be in love with Bo. Right, right. Like, because she is in love yes, with because again. she has fallen yeah. so back in love with him that she's kind of like well yeah i'm sorry like it would be lovely for you if you had a bow in your right. life you know? but not mine but this is mine. <laughs> okay. mine and yeah she that character her name's nancy that character i had her much more kind of mercenary initially mm. like i had her as a kind of like very kind of angular like bird-like sort of like hard charging girl that was kind of going after Carol's husband, you know, oh, like wow. on purpose. Yeah. And ultimately I felt like, no, like I, I, I want to show you somebody who sees Bo for Bo, like how, how wonderful Bo is. And when Carol sees that it's another kind of like little drop in the jar of like, no, you see, like he's this wonderful, this woman who seems like a nice enough lady is kind of, toying with the idea of throwing all her principles aside and trying to have an affair with a married man because he, she sees how great this guy is. Like, hello, what are you doing? <laughs> you know? right. um, go back to him. So I, I, I felt like I wanted to soften her for that reason. Yeah, I liked that. I liked that a lot. And you can understand where she's coming from too. And you can, you, you can feel for her too. And I just love how Bo was so... Um, gracious, like he was just so kind to her, but still was very firm. Like, no, but you know, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Church, I, like, yeah, I think initially in my head, I never wrote this, but I in my kind of outline, I I toyed with the idea of having him be kind of drawn to her too, because Carol is so absent. Yeah, you know that to to have. I had more scenes with her with Nancy, sure. and I had it that Bo kind of was sticking to his principles, but kind of yearning for yeah. this connection that this woman was offering him. But ultimately I felt like, no, he needs to stay true to Carol the entire time. Because even though in real life, we could see why that might happen. Right. We might yeah. even forgive him if he doesn't actually act on it. We might forgive him for kind of like, you know, having a little bit longer of a conversation with her or, you know, yeah. inviting the kid over for a play date and chatting with her or whatever, we might forgive him. But in a story, you kind of can't. Like you kind of yeah. can't forgive him for that and it would make him, it would cheapen him. And so right. I didn't, I didn't want to do that. No. It, it was so great when he moved Alfie in between them. Yeah. I was just like, <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. Because, right. Because at this point, hopefully we're kind of still, we're rooting for Carol now. Yeah. yeah. We're rooting for her to get back with him and for him to kind of see that she's changed. So we don't, we want him to still be. And also like, I wanted her to see, that's another little drop yeah. in the bucket. Yeah. I wanted her to see, he still loves her. He's yeah. still holding out hope that she'll come back to them, that, you know, he, he hasn't given up hope and he, she's still the love of his life and nothing has changed for him. Right, because one of the biggest concerns Carol had is that she was past the point of forgiveness. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So I wanted I wanted her to see in that moment that, you know, he at least would he would still be there. 
if she came back, he'd still be there. Yeah. She had hope. She had reason to change yeah. still. Yeah. Right. It's not all hope was lost. Cause yeah, I think that was a, also another big excuse of hers was like, all's too late now. Right. Right. And then, you know, Scrooge says that too. I'm beyond all hope, like pick someone else to try to <laughs> try to redeem. Cause I can't, I'm, I'm too old or whatever. And I, I'm, I'm beyond hope. Um, and I think, you know, Carol sort of starts to feel that way too. And then she learns that there is hope. No, there's hope. Yeah, exactly. Um, and with Marley, like somebody who there, I guess there really wasn't maybe <laughs> much hope for her, unfortunately. Um, I liked that character too, because I think what she brought to the table for Carol was like somebody who understood where Carol was in the moment. That's right. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of got her in more into that slippery slope of, um, so I guess I don't really have a question. I just like Marley's character and how she kind of reels in Carol. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I, I think Marley is somebody who, you know, yes, she teaches Carol the kind of girl boss mantra that right. ends up taking her on the path that we find her on, but Marley doesn't have any children right. and Marley has on purpose decided to not have any children. So the fact that she, I mean, so we can, we can say, okay, well, you know, why is she giving that up? Like, why, why wouldn't she want to have kids? But, but the fact that she is working so hard and doing all of this, she's not leaving anybody behind at right. home. She's not missing anything at home. She might be missing something in the grand picture, you know, right. maybe. And, and I think that's kind of what she says when she comes back as a ghost. It's like, oh, I had it all wrong. Like I should have been looking for a husband. I should have been having kids, whatever. So that's, that's true. Yes. But, but like as a character in the moment, yeah. you know, she's, she's working cause that's, she doesn't have anybody at home. And this right. is kind of her, her worldview. And she, as you say, like she gets Carol and she's kind of the only friend that Carol has. Mm -hmm. And she, and she's willing to kind of seek her out when everybody else at the firm has been kind of like, okay, fine. Well, you're just, you know, you're going home to your kids or whatever. Um, right. You know, and Marley is kind of like, no, I want to know who you are. And that really resonates with Carol. And that's kind of, that amps up her kind of uh, drive to stay at work and to do this, this thing. So it's ultimately bad for Carol, but, but Marley is not, she's not a villain. She's not the bad not guy. She's enough. just, you know, she's somebody who was there in that moment um, for whatever reason. Right. Right. Ah. One of the questions I have about Marley. So you remember in the, uh, Alistair Sim film, there's mm -hmm. that moment where Jacob Marley is out with all the other ghosts and they're rattling yes. the chains and they're like by this woman who's holding her baby. Mm -hmm. And then in your book, we have this moment where Marley is with the other women ghosts yeah. looking in on this baby. Is this the same sort of parallel you were trying to do with it? Like, was it the child just needed attention and these were moms who wanted to give attention or was it like the regret of not being able to have children? Or is it just like open to interpretation? Right. Well, I think everything, I will say everything is open to interpretation Fair. because once this is my, my philosophy is like, once you write the book and you put it out there in the world, like it's not really yours anymore and people can take from it what they will. Like, like the person that was like, is the doctor Christmas future? Like, oh yeah, sure. Right. <laughs> you know, like fine. Um, if that's how you see it, that's great. Um, definitely that was the parallel scene. And I will say that, so in my mind, you know, Scrooge is a miser because he doesn't want to spend any money. Carol is a miser because she doesn't want to spend any time with her family. And so she's hoarding her time and Scrooge is hoarding his money. So when Marley 
ends up out there with the woman and all the ghosts are lamenting. What they're lamenting is that the woman is a homeless person, like she's a girl, and they're lamenting that they can't help her. So he has realized that his, that Marley's miserliness was not a good idea. And he wishes that he was alive in order to be able to use his wealth to help this person, right? To get her some food or, you know, shelter or clothes, whatever. So when Marley, my Marley, Marley Jacobs, um, is looking at that baby and all of those women, they're all business women looking at baby they it's a similar idea except it's about the time the time that they didn't spend doing that you know in in the home so the baby itself like it it doesn't really need it doesn't need care in the way that the baby in in the dickens needs help right Right, like that right the baby is more i think is more sort of symbolic of like babies like family um and and you know carol is having an experience in that moment of kind of like her mother instinct is kicking in like she she wants to help this baby and like pick up this baby and she doesn't really know why but she's like please stop crying you know and when she does pick up the baby and the baby kind of like nestles in she's kind of like oh thank you you know because it's that i you know that's the kind of that moment kind of spearheads everything where she kind of a little bit taps back into that mother instinct. And then all those other women are kind of like, we, we never got to do that. We never got to have that, that motherliness or that kind of care for a child. And we're, we're sad because we, we missed out on that. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I meant to do that too. So (laughs) yeah, it's a funny, it's a, it's a strange scene and I, you know, early readers were kind of like, what? <laughs> like, what is going on here? And I, I, I toned it down. Somebody, somebody told me this is kind of like, this feels like a little bit like a zombie apocalypse. Like all these <laughs> women are like out Wait, there. What? what are they doing? So I, I toned that down and I kind of just like, tried to make it more, more sad. Like, you know, yeah. they didn't get to do something in their life and now their lives are over. I like it because it adds to the dreamlike spiritual quality yeah. of that place that Carol's in. Because like after she's st- she's kicked out of the room, it's it, they're like gone. The nurse is gone. The baby's yes. gone. I'm like ah. Yes, was that great. was another thing is that it was a device to kind of tell you you're not you're not in Kansas right. anymore. Like right. something weird is going on. Here. <laughs> yeah. We're in a different realm now. Yes, uh, exactly. How how was the editing process in general. I mean, I know to write the book was joyful, but I've always, I've, I'm not a writer, but to have <laughs> people reading my stuff and then telling me how to, you know, what, oh, that just is cringe for me. So how was the whole editing process once you were done writing in the first book? Um, so one thing that's amazing about having had this whole freelance career as a kind of op-ed writer as writing articles is that I was really able to kind of hone both my writing craft and also my ability to take (laughs) edits. And, um, and the other thing is that I grew up with writers. So obviously my dad is a novelist and and a writer, but my mom is the best editor in, in the whole world. And so she edits everything that I write. I mean, not like little things, but like books and big pieces, she edits them still. And so I, um, I'm very comfortable with that, both because I'm very comfortable with my family, but also because I've had a lot of practice since childhood with that. Um, 
and then there was an editing pro- so I went through that whole process during the chunk of time that I was given to write the book on my own so you know I signed the contract and then it was kind of like at this date you need to give us your first draft mm-hmm. but I did all of that editing before I even handed in a first draft and so I handed in I think like a pretty clean manuscript which was nice for everyone um yeah. and I, I really appreciate it because I, I mean, there is a little bit of kind of annoyance or like let down when somebody says like, what's going on here when you really thought like this was very cool. Um, and, you know, I think it was Stephen King that says, kill your darlings, right? Like right. The, the idea is right. like, you're going to have to get rid of some things that you love yeah. that just aren't working for other people. And so I think it's really important to show your work to people. I mean, I say this as an editor too. And the thing that I say is show it to someone who actually knows what they're talking about yeah. either because yeah. not like, Oh, your husband who loves you, but doesn't really know right. anything. About or whatever. Right. 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 So show it to someone either who's the target audience for the book. So they might not know anything about like writing and editing, but they, they're the person they're going to be reading the kind of person that's going to read it. So show it to that person and also show it to someone who really is a good editor and, and knows how to kind of work through those things. So I am very fortunate that I have those people just in my life. So I was able to do that. And then there was an editing process with the Daily Wire also where, you know, they had several rounds of edits. There was a developmental edit, which is a kind of like structural plot edit and a copy edit. Um, and those it was it was great. It was fine. And and they were so they were so amazing because they they were kind of like, you don't have to take any of these, which is amazing because not everything wow. is like that. You right. know? So yeah. I kind of had the say to say like, oh, I want to keep this or, or whatever. You know, I think if I had said, I want to keep this thing that is not grammatical or something, they would have, <laughs> they would have been like, oh, um. you know, and, and they could have said, well, then we don't want to publish this book. And that, that was their prerogative, you know, but, but mostly they were kind of like, you know, this is your book, say what you want. And then they yeah. were very helpful in the editing process. So it was actually a very lovely and, you know, that kind is of so awesome. upsetting process, but, great. but it is hard. I mean, it's hard to kind of, First of all, when you feel done. Yeah. And I really have like a mental picture in my head of like ripping it apart and like taking these (laughs) putting them back together. It really is like that, you know, because it feels like a finished thing. And then suddenly you're like, no, (laughs) Um, but, but it was, it was pretty seamless as these things go. That's so awesome that they gave you that atmosphere to write in to make you feel comfortable. Like you could just really put out the work you wanted to share with the world and not just, I don't know what they wanted you to share with the world. Yes. And I feel very, very grateful for that because there's not a lot of places that would do that. That is so awesome. I I have to make one more comparison to the Alistair Sim film because it's just, it's my favorite movie. Um, That this moment where Scrooge is looking back on the past and here's Fran, his sister Mm -hmm. say, it, please take care of my boy. Carol had a very similar moment where, oh, I didn't hear my mom say that. Yeah. Right. I loved that. Yes. And so, yeah, Carol. So the sister is named Fan, like F A N. Yeah. Uh huh. And the nephew mm-hmm. is Fred. At least in the movie, yeah, um, it's possible he's not named in the book. I'd have to go back and remember that. But anyway, it's Fred. So Fran is Fan and Fred mixed together. So love it. Fran is bo- based on both of those, but also the mother, whose name is Alice, because Alice is the girlfriend in the 
movie. Right. <laughs> um, and so, but, but she is the sort of one that is dying and says, you know, take care of so like there's there's a sister who's also the nephew character and then the mother is the one that that gives the directive and right like she he doesn't he doesn't know what he's being tasked with and she doesn't know what she's being tasked with and she thinks she does and then she kind of builds a whole life on it right um and she's wrong (laughs) and so she kind of has to she has to see that in the past because she needs to know that she was wrong. Otherwise she would kind of keep hanging on to this, this kind of directive that she feels right. like she has. I, I like that the ghost of Christmas past says that you, ca- you kind of knew what your mom meant though. Right. Like yeah. you knew. Calls her out. Yeah. 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 Because I think it's, it's that moment where she decides that, you know, in order to, she chooses kind of, she, she chooses action over emotion. Yeah. And that's what she ends up doing the whole time. That's her whole yeah. problem. And so like right. in that moment, there's grief. There's horrible, horrible grief. Her beloved mother has died, has left her with the care of a much younger sister. And, you know, she doesn't know how she's going to do any of this. And, you know, so she could either kind of fall apart and grieve which right. actually she probably should do. I mean, you kind of have right. to walk yeah. through grief in order to get out the other side. Um so she could grieve or she could just kind of take action and she chooses to take action. And that's kind of, that's the path that she ends up taking for the rest of the time until we meet her. Right. And it's so relatable. Cause I think that's, if we all have a choice, nobody wants to walk through grief. Nobody wants to sit with yeah. it and deal <laughs> right. with it. And so if I can do something, <laughs> exactly. do literally anything else. Yeah. Right. Right, exactly. And, you know, and, and Bo is kind of saying to her, you know, well, wait, hold on, let's, yeah. let's take a minute. Let's think about this. And she's like, no, because if I think about this, I'm going to be too sad. I'm going to have to yeah. grieve. And I don't want to do that. I like the way you handled this recurrence of grief around Christmas time. Mm-hmm. Like just very personally, I had my miscarriage two days after Christmas. Ugh, so, so Christmas sad. this year has been very, very challenging for me I'm to get so into. Yeah. Um, but reading your book, I don't know, helped me kind oh, of like what? rethink that, rethink how to approach Christmas in the midst of loss. And I, I think you just handled it so well because you can be sad, but there is still joy to be had in this time as well. Yes. Well, first of all, I'm really sorry to hear that. And it's awful to have that happen at all, but to have it happen around a time when you previously were feeling joyful and happy. Um, but I actually think that um, there is sorrow baked into Christmas that, yeah. that Christmas comes with a sense of melancholy and a sense mm-hmm. of nostalgia, both because it's the holiday of the birth of, you know, the savior who then will die. And we know that he's right. going to die. So it, it includes birth and death um, within it. And so it has a kind of melancholiness to it already, but also because it something tradition is really important at Christmas time. I mean, it's important other times too, but it's very, very important at Christmas. And it's something that we, you know, if we celebrated Christmas when we were children and, if, and we still celebrate it now, it's something where it's kind of the same from year to year. We might have the same traditions, like, you know, this is what we put on top of the tree or this is my stocking or, you know, or whatever, but we are not the same. 
and right. we change and we grow. And in some ways it's beautiful. We have our own children. We pass on those traditions to them. You know, we marry, we include more people into our family, but in some ways it's sad. You can never be that child again, experiencing the magic of you know, the presence appearing under the tree. You might have lost your your parents, you might have lost other family members, you might have suffered a loss in your you know your pregnancy or wherever, like their loss has happened to you um, mm -hmm. because you're an adult now. And, you know, so you're doing things that you did as a child, but you're not a child and you yeah. can't get that back. You can't go back. Yeah. And that's baked into Christmas because Christmas is all about those traditions. And so I always, I always feel intense nostalgia and intense melancholy at Christmas, even as I feel joy as well. And so I think that's sort of part of it. And I think this, this story, like the Scrooge story, mm -hmm. Scrooge, that's what Scrooge has done. He's opted out of that cycle of life and death. Yeah. He's kind of said like, this is too much. There's been too much death and too much leaving and too much, you know, grief. So I don't want to experience the joy either. I'm going to just right. opt out of the whole thing because it's too hard. And that's what Carol does too. She's like, I'm just going to opt out of all of this. I can't handle this because my sister is gone. My mother is dead. You know, my husband, my marriage is falling apart and my children are chaotic. So I, I'm not going to experience any of the joy of my family connections or, or whatever, or the, the things that we used to do. I can't do them because my mom's gone. I'm going to opt out of the joy because I don't want to be part of the sorrow. And I think that's, that. it's a story about that. It's a story about saying, I'm going to opt back in, even with the pain. I'm going to opt back into the joy and accept the sorrow because, because both exist because that's life. Yeah. Life is joy and sorrow. That's what it is. You know, happiness and pain. That's what life is suffering, you know? So I think it's, a, it is a story about somebody that kind of has to like learn to step back into that and, so I, and I think we all do. Yeah. I agree. Life is about abundance and it's abundance in joy and sorrow and to okay. walk with both. And in, I like that theme there. And I, I like how also it kind of comes back around at the very end when her and Roberta are talking and Roberta's kind of like bringing up work at Christmas and right. she's like, no, no, no time out. Like, let's keep this work. will start again in January. And you know, you just see her come full circle and even keep Roberta back. Like, nope, don't get yes. caught up in it. Everything's fine. Right. Because she's given Roberta a new, like, it's not, it was important that I don't, didn't say like, and everyone just stay home. Everyone just stay home. With right. They, right. They still right. are working, but they're yeah. working in a different way. Yep. Um, and Roberta is being given the credit that is due to her. You know, she's not, she's being sort of seen as a real person and who is smart and has ideas, you know, and, and that has kind of energized her in some ways. Like she has a lot of anxiety, work-related anxiety, but like also she's being allowed to kind of do something that matters to her. Um, and so she's kind of really still thinking about that. And Carol's like, okay, but <laughs> calm down. It's, it's Christmas, chill, you know? Okay. Yeah. And the fact that she can say that, you just see her come all, all the way around to it, all of it. And it's wonderful. Yeah. Just like how it's done. Yay. <laughs> But it was, it was, it was such a joy to read. And I think it, um, you just hit all of the like big strong points and all the feels. And like, it was so refreshing to see that in this, in this way and to have something that's a bit more relatable to today. 
with this kind of story arch, like you were saying. And um, I just appreciate it. And thank you for coming and talking so we can kind of hear like the behind the scenes, if you will, or what was going through your mind. That was Oh, thank, wonderful. Yeah, thank you for, for having me, for reading the book. And also, I mean, this this is kind of the first conversation I've gotten to have where there are spoilers and where we could really talk about it. So I actually really enjoyed doing that because I, I don't get to talk about it that way. So thank you. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. I know we had at least one question in the comments from right. one of our people. Do we yeah. want to do that now? Do we want to do that for... Yeah, let's go to the Rumble Only section. We're going to chat with our audience. If I can get Twitter pulled up, we'll do memes and we'll just hang out with everybody, answer your questions and talk great things. Uh, But before we go, Faith, anything you want to share with our audio listeners? Um, Just thank you so much for being here. I I think that everybody who um, is here has probably read the book, so I don't need to say go buy the book, but you, you can, or you can, and, and, you know, I would love to hear from people. Oh, I guess maybe, can I plug something? Is that okay? Yes, absolutely. Okay. I'm having a live stream on Thursday yes. at PM Eastern on my YouTube, YouTube channel, because I understand this amazing thing that you have here, but I, I have YouTube. And um, so you can, if you like follow me on X <laughs> at Faith K Moore or check out my website, faithkmore.com, you can, find me there or find me on YouTube. I'm Faith Moore or something. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, but yeah, and I'm, I'm taking questions now from people to answer there. So if we don't get to anything here that people wanted to say, you can find me and ask me that. But that's it. Ooh, I love it. Are you still doing the book plates? I am. Oh yes. I'm also doing book plates. So let's plug everything. Um, yeah. If you bought the book, the physical hard copy of the book and you'd like to give it to yourself as a gift or as a gift to someone else for Christmas and you'd like it to be a signed copy, I can't sign your physical copy, but I am signing book plates, which are like stickers that could go into the book and then it becomes a signed copy and you can go right on the homepage of my website, faithkmore.com. There's info about how to get one. That is such a brilliant idea. Yay. So smart. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Everybody can have a signed book. I love it. Um, so next month, new year. I can't believe next month is 2024. Can't deal with that. Not going to deal with it now. So I'm just going to say January. January, our book is going to be Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. So if you guys have never read that book before, uh, it's really good. We're going to be talking about that next month. So we encourage you guys to go get that audio i don't is there an audiobook version of that i think there is okay but i haven't listened to audio physical the physical one's super short so it'll be a it's going to be a depressing read but we'll (laughs) we'll have a good conversation anyway so hope you guys joy to be found there too i swear there is there (laughs) is and pain sorrow and pain right exactly (laughs) that's what we're here for that's like all good literature has joy and pain yes that's what it is and then Monday, our upcoming episode for Quirks is actually with your brother, Spencer Clavin. Amazing. Hooray. Yeah. We're having a Clavenful week and I love it. So good. It's a Clavin Christmas. That's what's going on. That's right. It's a very Merry Clavin Christmas. That's right. Stay tuned for the Rumble Only section. <laughs>